the CRO Spotlight Podcast, powered by the Sales IQ Network. Hi, and welcome to the CRO Spotlight Podcast. I'm Warren Zeno from the CRO Collective, and I'm here with my co-host, Lupe Feld. Hey, Lupe. Hey, Warren. This is Lupe Feld, and I'm glad to be here with you. So this podcast is really for aspiring CROs and CEOs and uh, current CROs whom are interested in learning from not only us, but the great guests that we're going to have. We're here to tell you that there's other areas of the business that can drive revenue, and we're going to look and inspect and come up with some great ideas for us to bring in as much revenue as we can and drive some meaningful change for the business. So uh, tune in. We have some exciting opportunities coming up for uh, really amazing conversations. And uh, any B2B leaders, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you. Hi, and uh, welcome to the uh, this next episode of the CRO Spotlight Podcast. Hi, Lupe. How you doing, Warren? Great. I'm so excited today. We have a great guest, Oscar Munoz. I'll introduce him. So Oscar, thank you for being here. I'm going to just rattle off some stuff that you've shared with us. It's really impressive. As a matter of fact, I read this introductory stuff and I thought, boy, I, I feel like a loser right now. So Oscar is uh, the founder and chairman of Worldwide Payment Services and the co-founder of the chairman of Altered Athletics. He's been working in the art and science of sales and the people that make them happen in organizations of 1 billion and above, even before the term billion was even used. He's been driving sales and innovation for the electronic payments industry for over 31 years. His background wow. includes the creation of the first independent sales organization for merchant services by the age of 20. After a short tour as an AW3A2 within the US Navy, he completed his master's in business administration as an accounting major and with a 4.0 GPA, and then got a graduate studies in electronic payments acceptance industry. Uh, he's part of the team that invented mobile point of sale, or MPOS as we know it today. Uh, he's managed revenue responsibility for global organizations within the payment technology industry on different initiatives and organizational settings on both sides of the spectrum, both startup and turnaround stages. He's an active speaker, over 150 events he spoke. He's also a lifelong proponent of uh, corporate wellness and a lifelong passionate student of health. He jumps out of planes, He's a martial arts teacher, certified skydiver, weightlifter, pro-natural bodybuilder. So as you can see, as I'm reading this, I'm, I want to leave the room. But Oscar, thank you. Really impressive. And it's great to have you here. Warren and, and Lupe, thank you for, for having me. As you're reading all that, I realized that I am the most boring guy at parties. I've been in payments <laughs> since 19, 20 years old. You put me in a fiesta and I have nothing else to talk about, but, but payments and sales and how to make revenues around that. But thank you for having me. Thank you. You know, it, it's funny you say that, but, you know, payments aren't really boring. They're essential. It is what moves the world. You know, you're buying something or selling something without payments. Everybody keeps their own stuff, their money and their stuff. So it's an exciting industry to have been part of. It's near and dear to my heart. So thank you for making the time. Like you, Warren, I felt a bit diminished on experience and... <laughs> qualifications is that is where you're introducing Oscar, but he's a great guy. And I think you left out one of the most probably renowned things that he does. He's a break dancer. And yeah, so had the, the, the pleasure of seeing it. And I think you could probably Google it, right, Oscar? Um, oh, I he plan was at to a, now. Yeah. He was at a uh, corporate event and was able to do a breakdance flawlessly in, and not prepared or dressed for the occasion. Nonetheless, I think he was wearing suits and business shoes. So yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it, it was uh, it's a great thing. Dancing, I, I come from, from the kind of part of Puerto Rico that you won't see in the commercials, right? Uh, the, the very underserved part of, of a very small island. And, and it's funny, dancing kept me out of trouble during those times. And, and it was breakdancing back then that tells you how old I am and all the way to becoming a competitive breakdancer when I was young. But, but the funny thing is that I would have never expected to, <laughs> to be doing that. And in one of the largest, uh, you know, the Jeff was a uh, Jeff Jabuki was incredible in pulling people. The Pfizer Forum became that event that you can get 6,500 bankers on the one room. And actually, I remember Lupe that year. It was Joe Biden, who mm -hmm. the president now, right? Who was the the keynote, and and the host was uh, Stefan. Twitch Bus, who is one of the best dancers in the world and judge of So You Think You Can Dance. He's, he's a DJ, Ellen DeGeneres. And, and the real story that you won't know, you're going to just hear it on this podcast, is that <laughs> we were doing a deal with uh, a bank in Cayman Islands. And it was the first deal ever in where we were going to be able to sell digital channels without being the core banking platform provider. And we were on the last stages of that deal. But the EVP tells me, Oscar, that Twitch is like an eternal, my wife and daughter are eternal fans of Stefan Twitch Boss. And I say, well, if that's the case, I, there's nothing else to do. I'm going to have to go challenge him for a dance. And he says, well, if you do that, you become a god to my family. And I say, I don't think I can take that <laughs> kind of title, but if we close the deal, I take that. Exactly. And, the rest, and the rest, you take all great pictures for your, your lovely wife and, and daughter. And what happened is that I ended up doing that backstage where the exhibitors were. And what I did not expect, Warren, was that I was going to do that. And then the next day after the keynote, right, he will call me in sta on stage in front of the 6,000 bankers and obviously, it's Las Vegas, right? right. So you you get up late <laughs> in Las Vegas. Who comes up with that idea, making these events in Las Vegas? And next thing I know, yes, I did end up going on stage and, and all that. And the funny thing is that the first guy who texted me after was, was the great CEO that I, I worked for. And his message was, that was great. But you were late. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, yes, I, I, I get to do all those things. And I agree with you, Lupe. Payment is a different, how do you monetize as you're living today, right? It's no longer that exchange. It's you're living. And as you're living, you're consuming. And as you're consuming, you're paying. But it has evolved in so many ways. Every single gray hair that I have, I owe to some kind of payment. With a Max Drive, with a chip, with a, at some point we tried Google Glasses, right? That we, we haven't seen them anymore. But, you know, the, the time of inventing the concept of mobile POS and how to, how to have beepers. You haven't seen a pager in a long time. That tells oh. you how old I am. We took the BlackBerry RIM 950 pager the doctors used to use, and we tied a car reader to that, and it became the first ever cost-effective, user-friendly way a taxi driver was taking payments on the field. And then from there, I know Square says they were the first, but they were a client, actually. We were doing that in 2004. Yeah. Square came out to market in 2010. And then from there, we evolved to phones. And I apologize, they're working on the building. Of this. Yes, and, and we evolved to phones and we got to do great. Whenever you're flying again and you see any of the 25,000 flight attendants taking their phone to accept payments in flight, that was our technology with their name on it. We got to do great things with MasterCard Colombia and, and their project down there for Erebe Mobile, the country 
had this idea that out of 300,000 electronic people taking electronic payments, we really should be 1.9 million people taking electronic payments and the rest is going to be done through phones and tablets. So I got to travel the world doing this thing and see the impact in life that payments have, right? When you go to countries and where somebody to pay a bill needs to come down from a very far away place, it might take two days to get to the city. You're taking your bus and if you're old enough, you start kind of seeing them with a different perspective, right? How important it is from the comfort of our home, our phone, to be able to just pay something and keep the lights running. And and we give it for, for granted. It's like right now with the whole concept of crypto, right? I can give you billions of dollars in crypto and you die of hunger because no pharmacy takes it as a form of payment. You cannot put gas in your car with it. You cannot yeah. buy food in the supermarket with it. So yeah, payments, they, they, I'm passionate about it, Lupe, but I am yet to, we have to tell this to the, in the 150 plus events that I have done, I still waiting for that time when I say, I'm going to talk about payments and the crowd goes, what? <laughs> right. it hasn't you know, it's funny you yet. bring this up though because i just finally got the apple watch i never had one look at so that i'm a bit of a watch freak and I, I collect watches so i finally got one of these and i can use apple pay on this now and it's insane i mean i i press this little button and i and i can i can pay for something God. with my watch now i'm a techno freak i'm not like some old fogey in this respect but this is incredible like the way the world is evolving, and I think Lupe makes a great point, it's not boring in the respect that I think it's one of these things that's, if you took it away, if you took away people's ability to how we can pay for things right now with the Venmo and PayPal, how I use these stuff every day, people have no idea the ubiquity of these things and how they become embedded in the way we transact. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. So Oscar, thank you, for, thank you for making the time to be with us today. I wanted to get your perspective on the importance of collaborative coordination as it comes to the different areas of the business that tie to revenue. So marketing, social, customer success, as well as sales. So thought maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of kind of your thoughts and insights on that. For sure. I, I don't know if it's going to be a bit... Uh... Controversial, Lupe, but I tell you, <laughs> I That's certainly good. we like that. I, I certainly, well, some organizations you you get in trouble for that, but definitely, I don't know any other way this can work today. I mean, it, the the future, I think, of revenue and sales that brings you to revenue is is just different now, right? COVID happened. There were folks and companies, and I was involved in several companies that. 2000 and March 2020 hit and the pipeline went to zero overnight, right? And then we were just talking at the beginning here, traveling budgets being being enabled and, and digital became the thing. And and it is peculiar because just before this, I was reading the latest Harvard review and, and they were talking about that only 17% now of the purchase process is is happening talking to suppliers. And I was surprised by that, but it matches to what Garner was saying, that 80% of those contacts are happening to digital fronts. So what that tells you is that you have to be able to have your reach to all of it. If you're not involved in the marketing automation and what happens to a customer before, during, and after the sale, it becomes a real tough job to pursue. So how do you integrate all those things together as working as one and, and, and stop creating that lead to revenue process has changed dramatically. 
And that process of, of having like a funnel that has a beginning and an end instead of the way you have to work it now, which is that flywheel effect of continuous interaction requires that those departments are working together as one. So there is, uh, for me, it is it's the only way to survive today. If you don't have your hands in everything from the marketing automation that is happening, the full sales engagement that is taking place, and then the customer success process. And I personally define customer success before, during, and after, right? Not just after somebody has delivered and closed the deal. So there's no way for you to really have a, a path to revenue without that today. Well, look, we agree. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are then on that. Why is it you think that that's not just a standard way of operating today? It's interesting, you even couched your comment as being something that's controversial, but there should be nothing controversial about that. What, what are your thoughts looking at the marketplace as to how come it is that this is still what I think everyone I speak to seems to agree with it is still something that's not being done? I think what you, I mean, there's different reasons. I was in an organization before we were talking about that grew out of complete mergers and acquisitions, right? They didn't really create a lot of things internally, <clears throat> but bought 230 companies in 25 or something years. And when you, when you have, you looked at our product notebook back then, it was really over 200 companies. First of all, the website will have over 700 different solutions because every time you buy a company and they bring their product notebook in, you have an array of products. And, and when you buy these companies and they already have their own little box checked, right, for how they deal with customers, how they go out to market and how, and then you, you're bringing them all together on the one roof that those silos and those walls become kind of challenging to break up. They're really dealing with different marketing departments fighting to see who has the biggest biceps, right? <laughs> Who's going to end up yeah. fighting for the biggest portion of the cake? And it, it is just the way it has always been done. But I, I think that is a challenge. I wanted to understand that that was before is no longer good. And it is happening today. You are correct. That's why I was so impressed. I was reading on your website the things that you guys are doing. This role really needs to change the perspective that it is not a chief marketing officer doing things over there. And then we call it customer success management, but not many people call it customer success management. You still have customer service name in some places. It's or account management. Or account management. Yeah. Is pay. And it's a very diff different definition, right? Success, customer success is a very different definition. Those things can no longer be separated. So I think the challenge is just a historical weight, right? Being being guilty of our own success, doing different things. And then when we come together, it has become more challenging in practice than in theory. That's great. As I think about if you were going to advise, we have a lot of senior level executives that watch this. So if you were going to advise the twofold question, if you're going to advise a CEO on how to organize for the best revenue acquisition for the business. And if you were going to advise someone like interviewing for a chief revenue you know, position, how would you advise those two folks as to what questions to ask, what to think through? I'd love your perspective on that. Well, I, again, and this is probably the controversial part of my okay. comment before. So let's hang on with me here for a bit on this answer because uh, <laughs> I, know, I know it creates, you know, what I have seen in the past, and let me just preempted by saying, not that it doesn't work one way or the other, it's just that it works for different situations. So what I have seen in the past is that you get two, there's many types of personalities, but you get two kinds of different chief revenue officers, right? You have, I can 
from my previous experience, I can always divide them in those two clear paths. And, and it usually depends how that person got there, right? So you have on one extreme, you have the folks that very respectfully so, they don't really know anything about the product that they sell or, or what they solve for their customers, right? They're, they're great in Excel. They're almost as good as a CFO talking about the numbers and they know that Excel left and right, their dashboard very clear. Some people say kind of more of a desk jockey kind of guy. And, and again, they have their place, right? So when a CEO is interviewing for a CRO, I think there is a place when that makes sense. And I'll talk about that in a moment, right? And then you have the other guy who has that deep domain knowledge expertise who gets involved and tells you exactly when the business does a deal, tells you exactly what they solve, what they fix, and how they're making a difference with those deals in the front end, right? One of them purposely tells you, I don't need to know. <laughs> and the other one gets his hands completely involved. So, so to be fair and to, to answer your question, right, I think in my humble, in my humble opinion, you, you need both, right? So it depends on the situation or the stage that that CEO or that organization is in at the moment, right? So depending on, on where you are is what needs to be done. And then that defines the kind of athlete you got to bring to play the game. So, so if you are in, in an already successful organization and, and what you're doing is just preserving that vitality of, of a machine that is just running perfectly, right? A well-oiled machine. And, and actually your, your bigger challenge um, is almost what to say no to instead of what to say yes, right? Making sure that the team is doing what it's doing and you're not getting yourself spread too thin and you're being very careful on the initiatives that you take. You have already a strong team in there in place and so on. So I think that the first kind is, is the kind of guy, right? That CRO that can almost easily double as a CFO is probably that guy that you want, right? That That is gonna, is gonna be able to look at that business also in turn around situations, right? You, you look at, if you're kind of surviving and you have to turn around the business that everybody knows is in trouble and you got to make these tough decisions that you're just going to look at that cell, see what gives you what return. You're going to start cutting things off. And I think that first person is the right guy for that. But, but if you find yourself more of in a startup kind of situation, or maybe if you even made it to the next level, which is when you have that accelerated growth process, that you're kind of creating everything from, from system, from people, from structure. Then I have my own personal thinking that you need to have a guy with deep domain knowledge because particularly you're going to have now this integrated view of marketing, success management, and sales. And if you want to put the message, if you want sales to be able to work with marketing in a continuous flywheel and where I start prospecting in here, I go through a pursuit plan, based on what happens, they're going to go back to marketing, who's going to keep sending content information, right? It doesn't mean the sale didn't happen today. So for you to be able to help any of those departments, you kind of have to understand what you're fixing beneath that, right? How do you add value? And I, and I had the, the honor of working with some CEOs of very large companies and man, you will sit with them and they will tell you, sometimes it will be mind blowing. You know, Jeff Jabuk is one of those guys that will tell you exactly what the technology fix in a smallest country in a corner of a world when we did that, that deal, right? And so I think you have those two. As a CEO, you have to kind of first evaluate what is the situation, the stage of your business. 
Based on that, I know the strategies that I have to go in. Am I, again, am I sustaining the success of the company? Am I in a turnaround situation? Am I in a startup situation? Am I just already went from startup to really working on accelerated growth where I have to really fine-tune that team and keep going? And then based on that, you say, okay, this is a zero, the, the revenue officer that I need to do that. And, and if I am in the startup and accelerated growth, ran I need somebody that can really come in and, and inject the structure, the processes, help the three departments to really move around the customer in the middle of that equation. So that's my two cents on that. Uh, it's great. Thank you so much for the detail. I, I'm, I'd like to dig into something there. It's an issue that comes up because I agree with you, right? There's different types of chief revenue officers for different types of situations. There's no, no question about that. So that comes into the question around succession planning, right? So if I'm at an earlier stage and I and I have the knowledge or awareness that I need the type of chief revenue officer that you are proposing, which I agree with, what what happens now? Is there a point at which that that CRO sort of becomes no longer useful, or do you develop that CRO to become that other one, or is it more like you know I buy the product I need today and then I buy a new product when I need it later? What what's your thoughts on continuity in terms of growth and development of that role and how those different types of competencies are so different. Because I say it for this reason, right? It's because I'm, I'm training a lot of people to be chief revenue officers right now. So as they enter into a company, I'm actually giving them the same advice. I'm saying, what situation are they in and what type of person do they need? What are the skill sets and competencies that are appropriate for that particular circumstance, right? And if that person is, is the right kind of person for that, the question comes up is, well, what's going to happen when that job is done? How do I develop my skills to stay in the job and grow? Or do I have to leave and they replace me with somebody else? What are your thoughts on how that could take place or what your thoughts are on how, from a CEO's perspective, how you'd manage that type of succession planning? That's an excellent question, Warren. I enjoy this podcast already. I, I will tell you that I, I personally, I believe that people need to be passionate Happy, healthy, passionate people just perform better. So let me start with that. Doesn't matter what you're doing, right? Sure. You're, you're making coffee, you're cleaning offices, you're right. And for me, being happy means that you have to live a coherent life between what you value, who you are, and what you do, right? And actually, people that know more about this than I have come out with the idea there's only three things you got to worry about if you really want to have a happy life at work. And that includes one, you have to be able to express who you are in your job, right? If, if I like to write poems, then that's, that's what I do, right? I write poems. And my level of expression is probably really high up. And then the second thing is you have to have impact in what you do. So if I write poems, I might have a lot of expression, but the reality of my level of impact in the world is going to take a while before the whole world is reading my poems, right? So my impact is probably not, not that much right and then the third aspect is compensation you have to if my expectation of compensation is really high for me writing poems and i expect to create a lot of impact then i'm not living a coherent life right so i have to coherence is something very personal so to your answer is and and now we'll apply it to the chief revenue officer i have seen both sides of that spectrum one that is we all are people that are very coachable you're going to learn that the folks that make we have learned that the folks that make to these stages, they usually are in general, very, very humble and hungry. They're very coachable kind of people. So I, I have no doubt that you can move across that spectrum of becoming that from that startup 
expert to that turnaround expert, I'm sure they are capable of moving through that spectrum. But I think the other side of that, Warren, which is some people that come in, they love the energy, they love the passion, they love the mess of going into a startup and having to create everything from start. And that's their adrenaline. They get up every day and they get on that bike, right? And once that ride is over, and now we're going to stop going from the mountain to now flat plains in the city, they say, listen, that's not my ride anymore. <laughs> pick pick mm-hmm. somebody else. So I, I think, can they be trained to do a different kind of gig? Yes. Are they going to be happy and they're going to get up every day with the same passion and adrenaline to do that kind of job? Mm-hmm. I think that's a bigger question, right? Great. Um, yeah. That's great. Thank you. I want to kind of shift to maybe a, a different area and just... As I like to kind of push the envelope a little bit from time to time. As you look at your typical CRO, they don't look like me most of the time. And, and they, they don't look like you, Oscar. So there's, I think there's a gap there. And so how, what advice would you give somebody who doesn't necessarily fit the expected mold as to how to rise within a company and become that C-level executive. You've done an incredible job of climbing through organizations, having huge responsibility, and in the process built beautifully diverse teams. And so I'd love to glean some advice and some, you know, thoughts on that from you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lupe. I, I keep it, I keep things simple. I like, I like people to be themselves and, and there's a few and a, and a zero, my personal take, my opinion is that as you go through leadership scales in a company, you either like people or you don't. And, and those things, I don't think you can fake them, right? I mean, it's hard, it's hard to fake some of those things, right? And, and, and nobody makes it right or wrong, right? Different, different strokes for different folks. But I think that these companies need to Pick based on the game you're going to play, it has to fit the player and they have to be happy doing it. This is something they want to do. I love, we're right now in a project, I give you an idea, we'll make it public in a few months down the line. So it's still running under a stealth mode. And I love the fact that I, I had for the first time this last week to ask the team to work less. Can you imagine a, C, a CRO telling the team, please stop working this hard? You got people putting in 15, 16 hours. And I'm not asking anyone to put 15, 16 hours. They just are so clear on that share unified vision that and want to become the number one growth region doing this thing that they get up on that bike every day. I don't have to tell them. I actually literally, I promise you last week had to tell them, I'm sorry, they're putting the ground. Had to tell them, please, guys, log out. Log out for a moment because he's getting so. And what happens when you get everybody, you give somebody direction of where, where we all want to go as a collective and you get the right leadership on top of that. And you, then you put the share accountabilities and you're tracking the right daily KPIs. You know, people in general, they want to feel important. We go back to that expression. We go back to that impact and and, and, and by the way, competitive compensation doesn't have to be higher. You never want to be lower, right? Just competitive compensation. You give people the way for them to express who they are and create an impact in the business and give them the north and they will go to war for you. So, so I, I think there is no right or wrong. If you think about me, right, I, I, don't, 
I jump out of planes. I, I get electrocuted with 10,000 volts and mud runs and, and I break dance. And, and I, so, so I compete. So I am as unusual as they come. The funny thing is that I've been blessed that the CEOs that hire me, they say, this is the guy. <laughs> that is the guy. That's what I need. The guy that's jumping out of planes and doing these things. I want them to move. the. So I personally believe you got to bring the whole person in and appreciate that individuality. And if parts of that equation, that old saying that it is not personal, it's business, that doesn't apply, right? It, it, it is it's the same person from nine to five that it is from five to the rest and going to bed. Right? So you got to buy into the whole person is my personal take. I think when this hires go wrong is when you when you hire this persona that wrote this resume and gave you what you wanted to hear, but then turn around and really is somebody else, right? And in my thinking is always that if if you have to be someone different at home that you are at work, then in one of the two places you're lying. And if you're not, you know, and if you're lying in one of those two places, you're no longer living a coherent life, thing catches up to you again. So I keep it simple. You hire the whole human being. That's I love great. it. I love it. That's great. Thank you. That's really great. So I want to talk a bit about your 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 own experience and background. You you have an impressive background, which we'll we'll discuss. But you know, you've you've climbed through some really amazing experiences, and you built some important infrastructure for you know, particularly in like mobile point of sale, et cetera, et cetera. What what do you? I mean, I, I obviously I, you're you're very diversified. You do a lot of, of things both in and out of work, and I could. I could tell through your personality that you're one of these people that's the same no matter where where you are, which I think is, I, I completely concur with that. If you're looking at someone, again, I'm, I'm thinking about the people listening to this right now. We've got heads of sales or heads of marketing leaders who are looking to move up the ranks or increase their ability to make an impact in the world that they're in, or CEOs who are looking to add people to their organizations that can do that. What are the types of things in your experience do you see work in terms of developing your own career or developing your own ascension into larger scope and bigger responsibilities and taking on a less functional responsibility and more organizational responsibility? Because that's that's sort of the trajectory of the people who are looking at this, this listening to this right now. Let, let me start by, I, I've been blessed by being surrounded with a lot of good people. So get the right people on the bus, right? I think as you, the only way, as you're helping others, those others are gonna help you and, and I, I cannot stress enough the good to great road that I didn't invent that, by the way, right? But get the right people on the bus to begin with. And, uh, and once you have the right people on the bus, right? And, and then you together, you decide where you're going, right? Mm -hmm. Get the right process in, in place. I don't know if you heard the sayings of, of Dr. Deming, right? Edward Deming. I don't think he got as popular as he should have. I think social media wasn't that great back then. So, <laughs> but, but I, I love, I love the simplicity of what he says in every aspect, right? Manage the cause, not the results. A bad system is going to beat a good person every single time. So get, so the things that will help you in success is that you get the right people, but for God's sakes, give them the right process and framework so you can all, once you give them the right vision that is hopefully built together, it's not something you're putting down like that. You're saying, hey, let's get together as a team. And again, this is why I say it depends on the stage of the company, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. we're talking depends on the stage of the company. But if you want to climb up, you, you know, there's some things that are very important 
no matter where you are. Revenue solves all problems. That's why we're talking in here, right? Chief Revenue That's right. Officer. That's right. Revenue yeah. shall solve all problems. And I will, I will actually say that the CRO is probably the most important role. He has to make sure that the CEO and the CFO are his best friends. And if you think about it, the CEO and the CFOs, all they get to talk about what the CRO is selling, right? So, so you have to make sure that the CRO is, but get the right people in, put the right processes in place. If you can, again, not explain what you're doing in a process and you don't know what you're doing, right? So get the right processes in place. And what I mean is that sales is such an important engine, right? Without Nothing happens if somebody sells something, right? Yep. But but sales now, for me, is a compounded term. So some people look at sales now, they want to put another name to it. I, I have been working on teams, I remember. I'm not going to say the country, but I remember going to a country that the sales executives and the head of sales didn't want to be called salespeople. And I'm like, what's wrong with that right now? Now, the problem is that you have to know social media, you have to know marketing, you have to yep. know sales has evolved. And now we know that that percentage of the interaction that will happen in person is much less. And if you're dealing with a millennial who are now making decisions, it's even more or less. They want to talk to you even less. So you have to really maximize that point of interaction or that point of persuasion. And you have to become an expert in so many other things, but we're still selling, right? I'm, I'm selling with my kids every day. I'm, I'm trying to sell my wife now and then. Where are we going to go? How are we going to do sure. Right, not, I'm not not so successfully so. By the way, no, but, I'm with you. But, <laughs> but, but in business, I think it's such an important thing. But we set the right process in place for success, and I'll give you a quick example of it. Not to use a whole hour on this, but it's okay. If you, you the good old art of of fanatical prospecting has been has been kind of people thinking you set up these systems. And they're just going to do everything and sales is just going to come to you. And the challenge is that the best system, all it's going to do is augment what you do right or what you do wrong, right? It's going to really come to surface the thing. So if you want to be successful as a CRO, right, you have to make sure that once you get the right people, you give them the right north, you select what are those widely important goals that really moves us and what are the levers that really move the needle to get to those goals, you put in the right share accountability. And sometimes depending on the stage, like the stage I'm at now, right? I made it a point that either the whole team is going to get to total compensation or nobody's going to get to total compensation. And that kind of united that startup group. You know, there is no individual accounts don't belong to anyone. Marketing is in those meetings. Marketing goes out to field calls. They want to understand, right? So it became that cohesive team that is doing all these things. Um, so... Once you settle those things, then you say, okay, now we're going to go down to the detail of it. And if you were to look, for example, at the, the head of cell, all the reps under him, their calendar looks exactly the same. They all have two hours of fanatical prospecting, three hours of customer meetings. And there is a process in place in where even the unscheduled items are scheduled. And now that process is in there. Right. So you created the right framework and then, all right. And now you got the meeting. What happens? Well, now you have to have the proper opportunity work plan so you can go deep in discovery. And then when does marketing goes into that equation, when marketing has been on that equation all along, sending content, looking at trigger events, analyzing buyer signals and making sure that by the time you make your call call is not a call call. It's a smart call because they have seen your name, your brand, they're getting the content that they want to get. So really working as one. 
right? Really, really working as one. So you get that framework, you get that process, you give them the right north, you put people in there, and you go into ascent. There is no way that that team, right, you select the right winners to begin with, and you give them that right process to succeed, create impact, expressing who they are, and I guarantee you, only up can can be for you. As far as you want to go, right, I, I as I mentioned, Warren, right, because some folks say after here. That's right. You find your yeah. level. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know, it um, it sounds beautiful as you describe it, where everybody's kind of leaning in and working together and teamwork is the dream work. But the reality is sometimes, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Oscar, as well, you work in organizations where you're being told to stay in your lane. And people don't want to collaborate. So any thoughts on how to bridge that or how to break down that silo? Any good advice there? Yeah, you know, you, like anything else in life, Lupe, right? You do, you try the nice way first. Right? I mean, at some point you have to make some decisions. So I I, I always, I, I believe, I I love at heart people, right? Some of the things when you, you look at, I guess we can talk directly about Pfizer. I was a wellness champion in Pfizer. Yep. That's not a pay-for thing, right? There were people that couldn't even make it to the copier machine back then when you had offices and you would walk to a copy machine, right? And 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 we started having them lead teams that would walk around the building. And that was your day one, right? And that was your definition of wellness. So you really have to enjoy, love, care for people first and their success. And when that is really deep in you, you you're not faking that. That's something that you really mean, right? Because you have to be authentic. That's number one. And when you do that, you go to that silo department and you say, hey, we have, and really that's when leadership comes into play because you have to have that bigger vision and that bigger goal that is moving the whole organization, not just parts of the organization, right? I loved it when, um, before he retired, I loved it when they put in, they even, they didn't call it a vision. Actually, he called it an aspiration. It's something, it's so high up that we're never going to get to it. And, and it became to move money and information in a way that moves the world, right? And wow, what an impactful thing. Let me go sell a bank in Haiti. Let me digitize places where it became, it became something else. And so you have to have leadership buy into this. They have to know that listen, this is a serious thing, right? We have to fix this thing. And once you do that, you sit everybody in the table with honest concern for how, how are you going to get to your number? What helps you? reach your goals. And he said that the goal is incorrectly set up to begin with. And we need to then move higher up and say, we have to kind of make this thing fit better. So you do that. You do that. And, and honestly, nine out of 10 times, you're going to have people that say, listen, I see that you're coming from a good place. I see that you want to really help me help you help us all, all get better. Let's come and talk about it. And sometimes that one out of 10, you're going to get somebody has been there too long. Is there way or no way? And then you have to make your decision, right? <laughs> do I, do I yeah. stick around for that? And I have, personally, I can tell you that I have turned down. Money can only buy so many things. Lupe and Warren, you, you all know that, right? There's some yes. things coming. I, I've been in good jobs and I've been on jobs that I will have to take pills the night before the you know weekly forecast call and things like that. Because somebody decided that a number and there had to be that without any explanation of if that number is even possible or not, or, well, it's just the way it has been done. The number was this and now it's that. And so if you, if, you, if you find yourself in that situation and you cannot break through the right way with folks, then ultimately decisions need to be made because happiness has to be number one. Agreed completely. And 
you know, the issue that I encounter most with the people I work with is exactly the thing that Lupe just mentioned is the, the CRO role today is a disruptive role because of the fact that most companies don't operate in the manner in which a CRO needs to succeed. So they're entering into an organization that's sort of not, and I'll kind of tout this a little bit, is not CRO ready, as I say, right? They're sort of, you're, you're, you're being brought in, if properly, if you're brought in properly as a CRO, you're sort of being told, clean this up, bring some order to this disorganization. We haven't been able to do it. And this is the investigative part of the conversation that I, you know, I'm interested in is how do you make that transition so that, because as you said it in, in, in that great answer you just gave, you need to have leadership's buy-in that this is a vision that they want to do. So you have to sort of, in a way, sell in this vision first. And so when you take the job, you know that you have the right, and I, I usually say authority, autonomy, resources, and runway to be able to accomplish the goal that you need. What's your suggestion, like someone who is moving into a new situation where they can sense that maybe they're going to be actually fighting upward as as well as across and down? Is it, and I, I don't want to answer it for you, but is it maybe a binary choice between don't take the opportunity? It, it might be one where you can't succeed, or is there a way that you can influence the situation such that success is possible? I think you can always, right, influence situations, but... But I tell you what an onboarding process looks to me so we can answer, I think. And, and, and today, companies are getting pretty good. I think this whole Zoom era as we're doing right now, whoever thought, right, that we can have That's a, crazy. this kind of conversation. And it has changed a bit the way this interview process are going, right? So, so the CRO is really being interviewed by a lot of people because you want to make sure there is that cultural fit you know, it has to, it has to, to fit. And again, right, I go back to the stage of that organization, because if an organization is in a turnaround survival mode, there is a reason for that. And the guy doesn't necessarily need to be liked by, by whoever. That's true. Whoever is going to be very moving true. around. So it depends on the stage. But I do, there's six things that, that, that I try to implement when I'm onboarding someone high up or when I'm, and I apply them to myself. And, and first, I, I always organize to learn. I, I have to know what I need to learn, how fast can I learn it, and from who I'm going to learn that, right? And it's important to, to do that. Then, obviously, we base on the conversations and all the, the research that you have and your conversations from above, your best friend, CEO, and CFO, you get to define what is that strategic intent, what is that vision that the whole organization is going to become. And then from there, you say, okay, number three is that I take, what are the eight A-item priorities, right? What are the top three things I got to accomplish no matter what? Then once you know what the game and the play is, then you look at the team that you have inherited, you build that leadership team and you do that. And then the two other things that are, you know, very important to have that virtuous, instead of vicious, a virtuous circle is that you secure some early wins you make sure that you energize the company with that. And in the meantime that you're doing that, you're building all the supporting alliances. So that's when you're looking in and saying, okay, what do I have? How do I, marketing got to love me, accounting got to love me, finance got to love me, legal got to love me, customer, right? Implementations, yeah. professional services, they all have to be my best friend. None of them know that I tell them all they're my best friend, but they all think they are. And then, so so once you do that, I think I think it's going to really go back. That's That's why it's such a partnership with the CEO, right? And it's such a partnership because there's going to be, 
that's why an organization has a CEO and a head of everything, right? There's going to be a point in where you try to break the silo one way or the other. And then if you notice that it happens to be that you are walking into one of those situations that, that happens to be that the CEO and the other person in charge of product or the other person is saying they're working together and you're just a new guy and you cannot break through that, I go back Warren, to, to the, we all have to make that decision based on our values internally and what makes you come home with a smile from ear to ear and be a good father to your kids and a good husband to, to your wife or to your significant other, right? Again, it, your, your story is great. And I want to thank you for, for coming today and speaking with us. This has been great. I could see like, there's probably another hour we could spend with you. Your time is valuable. We appreciate it. And I know, thanks Lupe for setting up this, 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 uh, this interview because uh, Oscar, it was really great to meet you. Uh, thank you. The honor was, was all mine. Thank you. And, and, and thank you for all the great things that, that you guys are doing. So I appreciate, I appreciate your time to have me 100%. here today. Thank you. So you're, I know you're on stealth mode right now, Oscar, on your new project, but I'm and eager and excited to hear about it as, as, as soon as you can kind of release it. Any little tidbits you can tell I, us? I, I certainly can. I, and I, I'll be very observant of time. When I looked running, running platforms for different companies in my career, I, what you find in the payment industry is that the core platform, even though you have all this great innovation in the front end, right? user experience, nice dashboards, nice wallets, and things like that. The core platforms that, that have been running this were the same ones that were created 26, 30 years ago. And what happens with that, which sometimes we don't think about that, is that the world just based on convenience have continued to evolve legacy, right? So you have this thing, you write in COBOL, and next thing you're running the whole country, the whole world on these things. And, and it's just easier to keep putting makeup of it and see how far it goes. But the challenge is that where all these core platforms were created, the only thing you had to worry about was a bin number, right? Nobody in the world thought about how do I, how do I accommodating a, a digital signature in a transaction that was not even thought about? How do I accommodating an image? How, you know, now I have to have a passport as part of the routing and processing of a transaction. How can I bring anything that I do on the business trail down to make routing and processing decisions? Those things were not even on the table back then. So what has happened is that even though you still see a lot of innovation that is happening in the front end, now in this whole world in where we always say, right, that the the customer expectations are this, the only thing that is evolving faster than technology, right? Is what you expect. Warren is now using that Apple Watch. Don't take it away from him. Every time he pays and, and just shows it like that, right? So in a world that is moving so fast, the legacy technology has really kind of ran its course. And it's challenging for any company. There's another CRO topic for another day to decide and say, I need to keep showing numbers up, but how do I break what I have? And I start from scratch. How do I say, well, I really need to, I cannot continue to build around this legacy thing because he has gone as far as he can. I really have to change the core of it and build it with the technology that is available today. And when you do that, if you were to write something from scratch, not 26, 30 years ago, you end up with a whole new platform that one is 100% written on microservices, right? No longer this whole box that you take out is what do you need for that particular transaction set instead of rip and replace, open heart surgery, taking everything out, right? You end up with something that is native on the cloud by birth, not 
not something that you're forcing into the cloud. That topic is being used so loosely, right? Like cloud and cloud compliant, you can put anything on the cloud, right? I can take any, get a virtual server and pay that rent if I use it or not, and it's up there on the cloud. Or I have a platform that was born on the cloud that really allows you just to pay by processing cycles at that elasticity is needed in your. So bottom line is that, you know, we believe it is a new renaissance. It's a whole new paradigm in, in, in technology. And we're really putting a lot of time to it and working with some very exciting projects that, that have been blessed to allow us to, to, to come in and, and kind of change the story because the reality is that even though you see a lot of changes in the front end, in the back end of that, really not much have changed. It is the same thing that was built from the beginning that is doing a great job and it was built for purpose at the time, but now you're just in different times and banks like we know are no longer from eight to three kind of thing, right? They have to be open all the time and, and you need to be able to not buy a whole building. All you need is a little studio, right? You need to use that studio and then tomorrow my, you know, day two, you might need two or three or four. And, Kind of evolve your business that way. So, so it's um, we're excited. I got to tell you, I, I told you last. I have to tell last week the team stop working this hard. You're never going to hear that from a CRO. I don't know. If we should put this on a podcast, actually. No, absolutely. Exciting. Well, that's exciting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you, and uh, we appreciate your time. And this is great. And Lupe, we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs>